Welcome to the Continuous Delivery Podcast. My name is Zarar. I'm Chaba. I'm Cheesy. And I'm Hino. Today's topic is legacy code. We have a lot of applications out there which were written in maybe the 70s, 80s, 90s, and they're all approaching their end of life in some way or another. Maybe an organization has decided to rewrite a system because uh, it doesn't serve them well anymore, or there's a lot of technical debt which is piling up, which makes changes hard to make. Whenever you have a situation where you need to replicate the functionality of an existing system, there's always a sense of apprehension and maybe even tension or fear. What are some of the first steps that you can think about as a team or as an organization when you are being challenged with a port of an existing large system over to a modern platform? What you basically ask us to do is discuss how, as a squad or as a team, we can start thinking about replacing or basically completely replatforming an existing system. But doing it in a way, of course, that we we can't wait for three years until we have all the functionality that currently exists completely replicated and copied in the new system. The most meaningful practice that I can think of is uh, is use something which we call the strangler uh, pattern, where we take the current application, try to figure out something really small that we we might want to try to rewrite in an, in the new platform already try to find a way how we can have the old system uh, delegate to the new application or the, the part of the new application and, uh, and basically interact uh, with that uh, so that uh, for, the, for the current user, they still use the old system and only for the new functionality that is delivered, we, um, we use that little uh, new system at the moment. And um, as the new application grows and the old one, is phased out. We we basically try to figure out um, how we can replace all the valuable functionality, the old functionality that needs to be replaced as soon as possible. Uh, yeah, strangler pattern is is definitely the way to go. Big big bang replacements are just way too risky and fail too often. So to be able to replace one small piece of the app at a time is 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 the way you want to approach that. So the challenge is, is how do you get that working and how do you actually do that, you know, in, in a safe way, get, getting both systems running side by side, making the integration between the two kind of seamless. For example, if it's a, a web page or a website, you know, you, you have lots of challenges around, you know, maybe you might be navigating from an old page to a new page and then to an old page again and back to a new page. So it takes takes a fair amount of testing in order to pull this off. So there, there are some interesting techniques that, that you can use. I'll talk about one way that we're doing it for the client that I'm working with right now. Uh, what we've done is we've injected a JavaScript file in the header of the old system. And basically what it does is it looks at a series of feature toggles. And when you land on a page, if we want to send the user to a new page, it literally just goes to that page and rewrites the URL, setting those URLs to the new pages themselves. And so this allows us to incrementally uh, roll out new pages or replace existing pages with the new ones. It also allows us to do things like canary releases between the two. So not only can we say, here's the new page, but we can actually control the rollout and who goes to the new page via uh, these feature toggles and managing it that way. So over time, you can start to replace the majority of the pages and, and it just uh, 
seems to be a good pattern from that perspective. Now, 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 Cheesy may give an example of a of a website where uh, you know you can redirect users into different the old versus the new system as you're slowly migrating it um, off the old. But in 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 some of the more uh, you know non web systems like an AS four hundred rewrite, for example, or uh, or an uh, or a ZOS uh, rewrite, how do you go about organizing that project as a whole so that you lessen the impact on users? Because one uh, problem that often comes up is if you're starting to write a new system which is based on the old system you will invariably have like say 90% of the functionality on one system and 10% of the functionality on the new system and now the your end user impact is that they may have to use both systems at the same time how do you plan for that from a from a from a business impact perspective how do you sell that idea to uh, to your stakeholders yeah, so so one of the one of the big things in, in in this space is actually if you can hide this from your users, and uh, and and when you and when you mention like those those big legacy systems like AS four hundred or or uh, those those mainframe systems, usually they are behind some kind of a, like, a, like a UI, like a web UI, and and then through some some APIs or or um, uh, like uh, uh, Hino mentioned, the, the the strangular pattern, which is which is some of the requests going to the old system or the new system, you can you can more or less hide it. Now, now when you ask the question of of how would you go about this, the the good documentation is a myth. Usually, what happens is the only truth is in the code. Only truth is how the system behaves. Try to find something super super thin, but yet complete functionality, and then take this piece. And then if you have transactions or if you have requests, start recording those requests and, uh, and start creating uh, a set of results. Let's say you, if, you, if you have this request, what does the legacy system uh, replies? So, so, so start recording what this legacy system does. And then, and then for this thin slice, try to, to write in your new system the exactly the same, uh, to have the exact same results. And and then take this to, to, to your user. So so pretty much the question uh, what you were asking is how do you build trust? How do you build trust with your users? And usually proving it to them that look this uh, this new system for those type of transactions for those type of requests behaves exactly the same way as your old system. And then uh, like like you know mentioned this, the strangular pattern start directing towards this new system, those type of requests. And this is potentially your, your first production deployment. Sometimes uh, during our modernization or sometimes during the replacement, we need to keep the old mainframe components there, or maybe even we need to bring about changes to those mainframe components. And how do we do that in a world of continuous delivery? So one thing that, that I, I will add on to what Travis said, where he said the documentation is rarely good, I will tell you that the testing practices and the testing around so many of those old legacy systems are absolutely atrocious. So one of the things that we need to do, if we're going to be making changes, if we're going to incorporate that into our continuous delivery platform, is we need to change the way we approach it from a quality perspective. Four or five years ago, I was working on a really large system, and a couple of my colleagues, uh, they actually built custom tools on the mainframe to help with continuous integration, to help write uh, tests. At that time, I also wrote a Ruby gem that knows how to drive a 3270 terminal emulator so that 
Number one, we can test some of the changes we are making there. Number two, so that our tests could kick off batch processes and all sorts of things like that. Uh, recently, uh, I'm working in a place where there is a large mainframe uh, component, but it's written in C on the mainframe. And again, we've started adding unit tests there. So the key thing here is that we can kind of wrestle these these legacy systems into our continuous delivery pipeline. And especially if changes need to be made there as a part of the, the app that we're changing, we have got to keep the same rigor. It's much more difficult. We may have to get our hands dirty, but we've got to continue to keep the testing high. And ideas and concepts like continuous integration and continuous deployment and the ability, and this is going to scare a lot of mainframe people, but the ability to spin up uh, regions uh, is are become essential. I've been dabbling in some legacy code lately, and and, and one thing that I have uh, f- found myself, uh, you know, thinking about is there is a inherent sense of frustration with the programmer that initially wrote this code, and and as I as I look deeper and deeper into the code, I I kind of almost see their thought process as they were building layer upon layer of features as they went along, and at the end of the day. I found myself like empathizing with that programmer more than anything because you could almost see in the code when the manager said you got a deadline and they took a shortcut to do something which was probably not a good idea at the time. If you do start with writing tests against the old legacy code, what you will invariably do is you will increase your learning, your your knowledge of the code and what the code is trying to do tenfolds by just trying to write a test. And that goes back to Chaba's point earlier about the, the source of truth is always in the code. So how do you actually understand the business logic? How do you understand what the code is doing so that you can rewrite it somewhere else? And you can build it build it even more rapidly if you can actually pair yourself with a SME, like a business expert or the old programmer who wrote it. So that this communication between business and technology is still central, even in a, in a, in a rewrite situation. It's through writing those tests that you start learning more about the old system. Uh, a lot of the legacy systems that we uh, that we interact with have not been written to be automatically tested. And that makes it really, really hard. Uh, in cases like that, you, you can't write, well, let's say you can't write unit tests, at least for, for some things. But uh, in most cases, uh, we can get some sort of automation around it. Again, uh, there, there, there are trade-offs. At, at, if, if the tests become too complex, too difficult to write, uh, too too brittle, then then maybe uh, maybe it doesn't make sense. But in the vast majority of the cases that I have had over my career, uh, we have found the ability to take a system, get decent tests around it, make those changes if we need to make the changes with tests, and do it in a safe way. Are there other ways that you guys think uh, that that we're able to extract meaning from the old system? so that we can rapidly in small increments deliver a new system? Like what are other techniques that you can use to expedite your learning from the old system so that you can uh, you can move forward? It's always going to come down to a way of testing the current functionality, however that is, right? I once had to, uh, had to work with, basically had to replace a system that was uh, entirely written in Excel. Just it's, it's not, a, not a big enterprise system, but still it, the, the same principles applied so the problem was that the uh, the formulas in the excel were were impossible to decode 
so we had to kind of recreate the formazole from the front, from the from the beginning. And the only thing that we're doing then is we find a way to, from the outside, to look at the, the Excel as a black box, provided values, uh, see what the outcome is, see what the, the result is, and see if our own application is providing the same results. And that's kind of the, the, the only thing that we did at that moment without really understanding how the Excel was entirely set up. Now with the with the the current news that that there aren't enough COBOL programmers out there because there are so many legacy systems that needs to be changed in in, in today's situation with COVID. So so the question is, why did we end up here? How come the the, the businesses don't see uh, a value or 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 they are they are not jumping on opportunity to to rewrite these legacy systems? And then of course, how can how can they be convinced or what can convince them to do that? I think over time, there's a general decay of software that happens, uh, whether it be through multiple changes that were made over time, uh, which were done in a patchy way or which weren't done in a, you know, using the right software craftsmanship principles and the, the software decays. And at some point requests come in where you just have to kind of say, no, we cannot make this change because it's too risky or it's too expensive or it would take too long. And only then, at that inflection point of, oh, my God, we can't really change our system, do we start thinking about rewrite. So I think because of the lack of care over time that we give to these systems, eventually there's a need for a rewrite. And the business will only sanction a rewrite, or whoever it is, the the, the person who's paying for it, they will only sanction a rewrite once it's at the absolute breaking point where you there's no other option but to do it. Oftentimes, this comes from the feeling that, uh, hey, we've invested so much into this application. Uh, surely, we don't want to throw the investment out of the door. Or surely, we can just add a new new piece of functionality in there. But it's not always understood what the additional cost is. We, we always talk about technical debt. What the technical debt is that makes adding this new piece of, of functionality so much more expensive than it would be in a new system, right? Ultimately, the problem is... Because we are not uh, looking into what technical debt is, we haven't paid attention to it uh, in the past. We always think, oh, yeah, it's this next feature, it's this next feature, it's this next feature. Um, and we, we always keep on adding adding to it that uh, once we finally start realizing, oh, hang on, now it takes us three months to add the smallest possible feature that we possibly that we, that we need to add. Most of the time we look at this it's an all or nothing story. So when we replace the old system, we need to replace it with something that is entirely new and that replaces everything that the old system did. So when we start this conversation, we oftentimes don't start talking about uh, Strangler. We oftentimes just start start talking about, we replace the platform that existed today. And suddenly everyone starts realizing, oh, hang on, uh, this system has been out there for 10 years. Is it going to take 10 years before we have something new that can replace the old stuff, right? And this is what makes those uh, those conversations really difficult to start, and uh, really difficult to uh, to put a number on. Yeah, there, there's sort of this mindset out there that if it's not broke, don't touch it. You know, and and uh, that's how we end up with systems that are untouchable over time. Systems that there's no way to make a change to. Plenty of those, and those types of systems, you only have a huge crisis whenever something comes along where you need to make rapid changes to it. So I think it's short-sighted 
to be quite honest. I, I look at it like maintenance on your car. You know that that if, if you have a, an automobile and you want to keep it running well, you do periodic maintenance. You have the tires rotated. You put the winter tires on in the winter. If you live in an area of the world where that's necessary, you get the oil changed, you get the fluids checked, and you do it regularly instead of waiting until there's smoke rolling out of the engine and, and it stops and it can't move any further because by that time you've got a crisis on your hands. Uh, unfortunately, because of so many uh, things that have, have occurred in our business system, our, our businesses are all about trying to squeeze every single penny that they possibly can out of everything, out of uh, including software delivery and software development. So they try to encourage us not to go back and and support and maintain that. And I think it's short-sighted. Uh, I've just run into case after case where uh, the system is crumbling and falling apart, and now they have an emergency on their hand in which they need to try to rush to replace it. So I think incrementally keeping things running, keeping things performing well, uh, keeping the code clean, uh, that, that's the way to keep your apps. Whenever you're examining, you're in the planning stages of something, an, an exercise like this, and you have decided that you're going to deliver something early and it's not going to be a big bang, one of the things that I have found helpful is to look at the system and what Chaba earlier called a thin slice. I try to create that thin slice based on what the dependencies of the system are. So if there is a transaction that you can actually execute without touching three other systems. So for example, if you have an ordering system, you, you can rewrite um, and you have to rewrite maybe the first thing you can do is just rewrite the price checking feature, which only has one dependency. Uh, if you limit the amount of dependencies in each of your you know, increments of delivery, you might be able to actually deploy this thing to production earlier and then get some feedback instead of waiting, waiting, for, waiting for a long time. Any other techniques that you guys want to uh, think about as you approach a uh, a challenge like these, both from a technical perspective or from a, a management perspective, you probably want to to tackle the some high risk items fairly soon. One of the reason is that you can make those those initial design decisions, let's say, uh, based on that those initial learnings. So so there, so uh, while I agree with you that that maybe you would you could start by touching only one system. I would I would go very quickly and start touching other systems as well and try to create at least one feature or, or replicate at least one feature which actually touches all of them. So to make sure that that interaction or or, or that communication is is uh, can be replicated or or, or rewritten, and uh, and then, then maybe you can go just back again and just look at one system. So so I think there are there are various strategies, but but looking at uh, at the high risk items early. I think it's uh, it's 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 quite important. As you're using the strangular pattern, try to release as small of increments as you possibly can. So think of the smallest smallest thing that you think you could put out there, and then become very very frightened by that and slice that up into much much smaller things. So changes that we can make in like a couple of days, those are the types of changes that we want to make. But we want to make those changes continuously. And have a control to roll them out because sometimes uh, we don't completely understand the old system. So things like feature toggles are your friends in cases like that. So a toggle where you can roll it out. Uh, have tests that are running and monitoring in production that are checking 
both the old and the new, if you're wanting them in parallel, to make sure that we're getting the same types of results. Uh, the, these are essential things to have in cases like that. Yeah, one, one other strategy that I would want to, um, to offer is uh, don't start with picking some, uh, some area that, is never used, that has never changed in the last uh, five years. Um, the areas that you want to start with are areas that you need to change uh, soonest, right? Because those, this is actually what's driving you to, uh, to do the rewrite. Uh, it's, it never comes out of, uh, out of the blue. So it always is a, a request to add a new functionality. Try to look at those areas because those are most likely the areas that will need the most amount of change uh, going forward as well. Uh, and as a result, it would be better that that is already on the new platform. One thing that has always kind of tripped people is data. So you may be going from old system to new system or, you know, homegrown system to a vendor product or vice versa. But it's always the data that has to come along with it. What, what are some approaches that we can take when we are looking at data migration as part of a, uh, of a new rewrite? I kind of have one thing to say about this. Read the book on, on data-based refactoring. And, uh, and that ultimately will allow you to, um, to start migrate data um, bit by bit instead of doing a, uh, a big bang approach. Not always can we actually migrate the database. Sometimes we might need to leave the legacy database in place and build a new database. And using things like maybe having a Kafka queue that we push the data down and, and then have system microservices that read that, those queues to update the systems or things like this might might end up being the way that we have to run for a period of time. So in other words, don't it's not an all or nothing thing. It's not migrate the entire database or don't migrate it. Sometimes it's let the two run for a period of time, but have a clean architectural, simple way to keep them in sync. Uh, so uh, again, those database changes need to be drive down through the pipeline. The pipeline needs to set everything up. If you found that thin slice and then and then let's say you have a customer and that let's say that customer has only let's say one product or one service, then you can take that customer with that one product, that one service, and then start migrating that over versus picking a customer that has twenty seven products or, or, or services. Right. So, 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 so looking from, uh, from your, from your customer's perspective and then, and then what Hino said, looking from, from uh, how common this, this feature or this functionality and bringing this along, uh, could be, could be one strategy. Uh, and, and I think the, the, this would also bode well with the business because you are showing that, yes, we are providing value to one type of customer or we are, we are bringing over one type of customer. And that's it from the Continuous Delivery Podcast crew. We'll see you guys again soon enough.